All right, thank you, worship team, and uh, it's good to see all of you here this morning. Thanks for making uh, it here at Grace Point Church, and if you're listening online later, we hope that this will be an encouragement to you wherever you find uh, our time that you can share with us. Hey, before we start with our final part of our, our series that we've been on for now, this is week seven, I want to give you a little bit of an advertisement for what is coming up next, all right, so get into advertisement mode. All right, there we go. I actually saw some changes in expression. That was awesome. All right, here we go. Two weeks from now, all right, not next week, is next week uh, where you have the privilege of hearing from Chuck Holt, uh, director of the Factory Ministries. The following week then um, is actually Easter, all right? And on Easter Sunday, we're going to begin a new four-part series called I've Been Thinking. I've Been Thinking is a series in which we're going to address four issues that are often on the at least on the back burner of people who grew up in church. They think about these things, they're in the back of their minds, sometimes they talk about them, sometimes they don't, but I can guarantee you they're on the front of the mind of people who either have been in church and have left or have never come to faith in the first place. These are questions like this. I've been thinking, did the resurrection really, truly happen? I mean, we're talking like, is this actually really true, that someone actually really did die and really actually did come back to life? I mean, I've kind of wondered about that. I haven't really talked about that with anyone because it's kind of a big question. I'm not sure, but I've kind of been thinking about that. Questions like, I've been thinking, is Jesus actually the only way, not just a good way or the best way out of all the ways, but actually like exclusive, 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 only way kind of thing? Because it's a pretty big idea to think about, and I thought about that in the back of my mind, but that seems kind of closed-minded and, and kind of tough, actually, to hold that line. The only way, there's implications about that if I really hold that. So i kind of been thinking, I wasn't sure we talked about that, but I've been thinking, is Jesus the only way? I've been thinking also... How can God be good with so much bad in the world? I mean, it doesn't take a long time to lay that out. With all the bad in the world, how can I actually say that I serve, if I'm a Christian, a good God, and, and if I'm not a Christian, here's why I don't serve God, because how in the world can he be good with all the bad that I see? And then finally, we're going to think about this. I've been thinking, uh, why should I believe Jesus works when I know Christians who don't? All right? Why should I believe that Jesus works when I know Christians who don't? Um, the deal of hypocrisy that we deal with, the struggle of the, the fact that you look at many social markings of how um, we're doing in terms of marriages, relationships, parenting, and there's not a huge difference if you do a broad-level scope between Christian and non in a whole variety of ways. So why should I believe that Jesus works when I know Christians who simply don't? So I've been thinking, four-part series addressing four issues like this, things that are kind of on the back maybe of your mind as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, they're kind of maybe a bit on the front of your mind. There have been reasons why you've been like, eh, I don't, I don't really want to go there, and mm, if only they knew what their image was really like. My intent on this series is not to be... Um, not to be controversial, but not to be weak either. All right? I'm not intending to try to stir things up for the fun of it, but I also believe uh, in some things, and I believe that it would be helpful uh, for us to clarify some things that we believe as Christians and invite discussion for things that, uh, that maybe we disagree on. So I want to be clear, I want to be strong, but I want to be gentle and, and loving in the conversation as well. All right? I've been thinking four-part series beginning on Easter Sunday. All right. So, commercial over. Back to part seven, thousand words. Uh, we are finishing up this series, and if you've been with us at all, you know the reason why we're doing this series is because a picture is worth thousand words. Look at that. That was almost like a lot of momentum behind that. Let me do that one more time. This is going to be fun. One more time. A picture is worth a thousand words. Woo! 
Ooh, that's awesome. See, this is the last Sunday that we will probably ever do this in the history of Grace Point Church. And so that was it. Uh, that was kind of a neat moment we just had together. And if you're anything like me, I do well at looking at pictures, not just at instructions written on a page. And so when we say that Grace Point Church, that we're in the business of developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, it's good in principle, but it also is complicated as life goes on, isn't it? As you get married, as you have kids, as you get older in your job, as you kind of deal with health issues and, and singleness and, and all these things that we, we deal with, life can kind of get complicated. That easy principle that's so easy to roll off our tongue can become quite difficult to know what to do in certain situations. And so we've been looking at seven word pictures that Jesus lays out for people who want to follow him. And just to try to walk through real briefly and real quickly, we've talked first of all about the wineskins and how God has always been in the business of drawing near to those who are far from him. And then we went to the parable of the Good Samaritan, saying that, that people who really love God really love people and give up a right to be against them. Then we went to the story of the table and, and how Jesus said that God's estimation of you is what matters, not people around you. And so, therefore, use your opportunities to honor others. And after the table, then we went to uh -huh, the towers and the king. If you remember that, where Jesus gave this parable of if you want to build a tower, count the cost. And if you're going to go into battle as a king, you have 10,000 people going against 20, you know, consider the cost. And then he says, once you've considered the cost, don't even try. In, in other words, Jesus is saying that, follow me with everything that you have. And the reason for that is that I'm the only one who can bear the weight of eternity. That even if you could build something strong, it wouldn't be enough to handle the weight of eternity. So don't even try. And that, that was parable number four. Parable number five um, was the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The progression of um, losing things less valuable to more valuable. And basically this idea that, that followers of Jesus celebrate what is lost. And here was the hard part on that that Jesus at the end of this, going from the sheep to the coin to the son, was saying that followers of Jesus celebrate things that were lost even when those lost things are not deserving of being celebrated. That is difficult. It's one thing to celebrate a sheep that's just dumb and gets lost. We found it. A coin that I dropped or fell in the cracks of the cushion couch, I found that. But a son, someone who willfully walked away and chose to continue in immorality, is celebrated as much or more than something that was not related to, to moral choices. And, and Jesus is saying, God the Father celebrates what's lost, even when it's undeserved. That's a challenging, challenging piece. Last week, we looked at the parable of the shrewd manager and the guy who was, really did some weird things and was praised for his dishonesty because he knew um, the true value of the dollar. And we looked at the fact that, that Jesus' followers know the true value of the dollar and understand that there's kind of two storylines to money. One is what we see and the other is what extends beyond that relationally and socially and the impact and the potential for the kingdom with that. All right, so we've been covering a lot. And now we find ourselves in the last parable, parable number seven of Jesus. And, uh, and here's how I want to set this up because I want to ask you this question and kind of process this with you. And this is the question. Um, how do you process adversity when you didn't see it coming? How do you process adversity when you didn't see it coming? And I just want to think with you about these moments in your life for a minute, because I think it's important to get them in your mind before we go on into the text. How do you process adversity when you didn't see it coming? 
Now, that could be for you, you know, if you're a parent, it could be moving a child from one school to another or from one teacher to another or into an extracurricular activity or whatever and dealing with difficulty in school and with a teacher who doesn't like them, with a coach who doesn't quite get them, with a, an instructor who doesn't give them the part that perhaps they should have and things become difficult and you have to figure out how to deal with what you didn't anticipate. You know, if you're in a, um, a dating relationship that was recently broken off, you know, you got into a relationship that you thought was good and everything seemed right and you got into it not expecting it to be broken off, but at some point it's broken off and now you're dealing with the adversity, even within yourself, of, man, what happened and some regret and anxiety about what happened in that relationship and why it went south the way it did and the impact on your friends and, and even family sometimes, depending on how long that relationship went. For some of you who have taken that next step and found someone to marry, right, and, and gotten married, and on that wedding day you, you walked up an aisle, maybe even this aisle, I actually did walk up this, well, I didn't walk up this aisle, I walked down this aisle with my bride, this very aisle right here, my bride walked up this aisle, and, and you walk here in this day, and it's a great day, and you anticipate great things out of getting married, and then now you're five years in, and you're ten years in, now you're twenty, fifty years in maybe, and you're like, ah, like, ah. They didn't, this wasn't full disclosure, right? Like when we came here, they didn't tell me everything about them, and now I'm in, and I can't get out, and I'm dealing with some adversity, and I didn't see it coming, and no one warned me, and here I am. You know, what do I do with that? Some of you are in a job like that, where you took a job, you're like, I think this is going to be good, they're going to pay me more, and I get to work less, and, you know, Pretty, pretty much, you know, I'm going to be, be having it made or whatever. I'm going to really like my boss. I'm going to really like my context. And now you're like, man, this thing is, this is not what I expected. Some of you are starting your own business or working for a new employer. And it's like, man, everything seemed better, but now that I'm in it, things are kind of hard. And I'm dealing with adversity that I didn't expect. And maybe some of you are being asked to retire early and just kind of get and feel like you're getting the push out the door and you're like, man, I, I gave so much time to my company and what's the, what's the deal? At another level, maybe some of you are dealing with health issues. We know some of you are dealing with health issues. All of us are going to have to process at some point, how do I deal with the adversity of health stuff that comes your way when you weren't anticipating? How do I deal with adversity when it comes when I didn't see it coming? All right, what, what is my coping strategy and what do we do? In particular, the question is going to be, what do Christians do? What do followers of Jesus do when they've made the decision somewhere along the line to say, I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to trust Jesus for my life and for salvation. And then things begin to go badly for an extended period of time. You begin to lose hope. You begin to have major struggles. You begin to kind of lose hope Sometimes if you're honest in your own private moments, even the greatest of people, of the greatest men and women of faith would reflect and ask themselves the question, man, I wonder if I'm even a Christian. Great moments of self-doubt about, am I, even, am I even a Christian? Do I even really believe what I said I believe because things are just not working out the way that I thought they would with my faith at all? You know, what is going on? And this morning, Jesus is going to tell a parable on the heels of talking to his disciples about the future. And in Luke chapter 17, he kind of tells a story and frames up a future for the disciples in which justice will come and judgment will come and there will be um, essentially 
godly rule and reign in the world. And then in Luke 18, where we're going to be here this morning, he begins to talk about, now what are you going to do in the period between then and now? Because between then and now, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be struggle and there's going to be difficulty. And you're going to wrestle with how to handle the struggles of life. And he's going to give us two parables to try to help us know as we walk through this stuff that will come, how in the world do we as followers of Jesus uniquely cope with this? How do we, how should the Christian handle adversity when I just didn't see it coming? Now, to make this maybe a little more um, uh, tangible and tactile for you, if you're a tactile learner, this is going to be fun this morning, all right? Uh, my hands are cold, as they often are up here. Boy, I just wish we had a good deacon of thermostats around here to keep things um, just right for everybody. All right, so um, here, here, let's, let's work our hands this morning. Um, give, me, give, me a, uh, give me a closed fist this morning. Let's do some audience participation. This is going to be good fun. All right, now don't shake it at anybody around you. Don't kind of do anything like that. All right, we got the closed fist. Now, on the other hand... The other hand, you got your other hand. Now give me the, the open hand there. Before this, Look at this. This is all these happy people doing this kind of thing. You're like, what is going on? This is why I don't come to church. They do weird things like this. Okay, that's good. All right, so here's the deal. We got the closed fist. We got the, the strength and power that comes there, right? We got, we're holding on tight to something here. And with the, the open hand, we have room to receive something. And we're kind of in a position of saying, whoa, we are not in charge. We can't control everything. We're kind of holding things with an open hand. Okay, you can put your, put your hands down for me here. I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to keep the closed fist and the open hand in mind. Because here, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say up here. And if you want to check out for a little bit and whatever you want to do, you can, you can have my permission to do that. Here's the big idea. That I believe that Christians need to live in the tension of adversity with one hand holding tight to justice and the other hand held open to the sovereignty of God. The Christians need to live in the tension of adversity with one hand holding tight to justice and what is right, and the other hand open to the sovereignty of God. One hand holding tight to what you think you should fight for. There's a reason why you don't feel settled in adversity. In other words, you shouldn't make friends with sickness. It is not normal, right? This is a, a product of the fall. You shouldn't make friends with the difficulty in your marriage and just kick back and say that's just the way it's going to be. You shouldn't make friends with the struggle and just the tension of unresolved personal conflict and just say that's just the way it's going to be. There should be something in you that holds tight to justice and what is right. There's something in you that wants to do that and there's going to be a fight to let that go and just you know, give up because you know, we lose hope. There's something in us that should be holding tight to what is right. But there's also something in us that needs to hold an open hand to say sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I can't understand. Sometimes it's beyond the scope of me. And so I hold tight and I hold an open hand to the sovereignty of God. And Jesus says this in his own words, better words than mine, in the parable, two parables that he tells to the disciples in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, why don't you flip over there, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It is the third book of what we call the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you. That's our gift to you uh, to have and take with you if you would like. Uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read the first parable and then come back and comment on it and then do the same for the uh, second, all right? Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Remember, the context is Jesus has just laid out a future that is hopeful for um, the disciples. And then he tells them this parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not 
give up. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't uh, eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice in quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right. Parable number one. So again, context, Jesus is talking about the future, and Jesus makes a point. On both of these parables, he tells you the point of it right away. And look at the point in verse 1. He told them a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I mean, it's just right there in the Bible. You don't actually have to do a whole lot of Bible study to figure that out. And he's just saying, here's why I'm telling you this parable. You should always pray and not give up. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Don't give up. And the question becomes, don't give up why? You know, don't give up on what? In other words, there's an assumption that there will be something within us that will want to give up, that will want to say, this isn't worth it. And the issue is particularly when injustice or adversity comes our way. And he tells a story then of a judge in verse 2. In a certain town there was a judge, and then he paints this picture of a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Now, the judge, I think you would understand as a, uh, in terms of his social platform in the community, pretty high platform in the community. Much like today, even, we generally respect judges, and there's a reason why in the courtroom we stand when a judge comes in. That's kind of the way it, it is, even in this day and age, uh, when Jesus told this parable. There's great respect. A uh, man who is a judge, great respect for him in society. So he's one of the most well-respected uh, people in society. But um, in this parable, the judge isn't quite a parallel to God, okay? It's not like the judge is God and the, the widow are, are Christians and, you know, we need to keep bothering God like the widow bothered the judge because th there's a distinction here that Jesus makes and he says in verse 2, the judge neither feared God nor cared about men. And so while there's an authority the judge has, there's a characteristic that's different about the judge than is about God, okay? In verse 3, there's a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And so now we have the, the guy on the high end of social reputation dealing with the, the person on the low end of social reputation. Uh, a widow, a woman who kept coming, who wasn't married, who had, in this case, no one to take care of her except whoever family or whatever might be around to do that. So we have the low end of society coming to deal with the high end of society, someone who actually doesn't give a rip about people or God. You know? And so, therefore, he's not compassionate. And so verse 4, for some time, he refused. Think about that for a minute. Slow the story down. You know the end of it, but slow the story down. A widow is coming with an injustice, with something going on for her that she is living with. We don't know what it is, and this is a made-up story, truthfully. And so we can use our imagination without getting too far offline on something like this. I mean, just imagine if your struggle is what this widow is dealing with. Just imagine if your wrestling is what this widow is dealing with. Why not? 
Imagine if she's dealing with the, the problem of a lender who's just beating down her door and has no right to do so. Imagine if she's dealing with the stress of not being able to put food on the table. What if she's dealing with the, the stress of someone who's um, you know, looking to take her property from her and is, is continuing to push in uh, on her to deal with that? You know, what if she's dealing with the, the anxiety of someone who's making a claim on her, um, her stuff and her estate that just she can't handle and she can't bear? Imagine if there's some civil suit that she's dealing with in which someone is, uh, her, her relationships are really just kind of torn apart by this. And she comes and she comes and she comes and she comes and she comes. Number one, that's amazing. Because she doesn't give up. She keeps coming to him. And he keeps refusing her. He's like, yep, sorry. I don't hear that. I don't care about that. It's not valid, you know, and, and cutting whatever the law, the way he wants to cut the law. At the end of the day, she goes home regularly disappointed. In other words, she's having to live within the tension of adversity that she didn't see coming. And finally, verse 4, finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. This is a pretty funny phrase in here. Um, some of your translations, if you're looking at other translations, will say something differently when it says she won't eventually wear me out. But the, the backstory to that phrase, wear me out, is actually a phrase used in boxing. All right? If you're going to give somebody a black eye, this is the same phrase that you would use. Eventually wear them out. Imagine people in a ring and you get worn out. And in the process of getting worn out, you are the one who loses. You get the black eye. And that phrase, to wear me out, would be the same as to give me a black eye. Now, there are some translations that would say that, that basically what the judge was saying is, I'm actually afraid of this woman. Like, if I don't do something, like, she is crazy. Like, I've told her over and over again, no, 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 no. She keeps coming back. Like, she actually might do violence to me. And it's kind of a funny thing to picture a judge up here and a, a woman down here, and, and he's afraid of her with all the power that he has. Now, I don't know if it's literal or figurative. I think it may even be more figurative. In other words, if I don't do something because I'm the judge and I have power, and I know that at some point the reason I have power, the way that I keep my power is actually by using my power to serve people. If word gets out that this poor woman who has nothing is coming to me and I do nothing about it over and over and over and over and over again, I may not keep my position of power. Therefore, she's going to give me a black eye in terms of my reputation. My reputation will take a hit. And I don't want my reputation to take a hit. So just out of selfish motivations purely, I'm going to finally get this woman away from me so she doesn't give me a black eye, whether literally or metaphorically. I don't know which one it is, but the point is still the same, that this woman was so persistent that one way or the other, the judge is finally like, okay, fine, fine, you're bothering me so much that I'm going to actually do what you say. And any mom can re relate to that, right? Mommy, 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 mom, mom, mommy, 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 mom, 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 hey, mom, 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 what do you, mom, mom, what do you want? I don't know, I don't know, mom, yeah, I don't know what I want, right? Anyone can relate to that, all right? And so here we have a widow who's coming, is like saying, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, I, I'm, I, there's something wrong with me, whatever. I need a cookie, right, for the kid, or I want to whatever. You know, I want to watch a movie, just over and over and over again. Finally, finally, he relents. 
And so, so here's what happens. And the Lord said, Jesus says in verse 6, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And if we're honest, sometimes we say, yes, it feels like he does. All right. There have been times, if you're honest, that you pray for something for a long time, and maybe even to this day it has still not been realized. And so if we're honest, we look at question verse 7, and we're like, yep. Will he keep putting them off? Yep. It feels like it sometimes. Yep. Yep. Just like the woman lived with that same tension for a long time. Just like she lived with that tension. And yet, she kept coming back. Verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people who keep saying, Mom, 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 Mom. Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people like this widow who are not afraid of coming back and coming back and holding tight, holding tight to justice, even when they don't feel like they're getting it? Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who are saying, you know what, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is happening. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming. I know somewhere in the Bible it said that you're going to give justice quickly. It is not happening. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming with this. I'm going to keep I'm going to hold tight to this. I'm going to hold tight to what is right. I'm going to keep after it. Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find the widow spirit in us to say, listen, I can't I can't make peace with what's wrong. I can't make peace with injustice. I can't make peace with the stuff that's wrong around me. I just can't do it. And even though I don't hear an answer from God, and even though the answer is still live in the tension of your adversity, I come back the next day like the widow did. Mom, 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 will he find faith on the earth? I'm going to keep coming. This is the call to keep going even in the middle of adversity in which your questions, your desires, your interests may actually not, not be answered for a long time. And Jesus asked the question, will he find faith on the earth? And so the call is, the pull is, keep, keep going, right? Hold tight to justice. If we actually do that, if we actually do that and hold tight and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, one of the things that can happen in a hurry is that we can become very religious people. By that I mean very um, dependent on our routine and our work, to move the hand of God. We can almost think that God becomes, as you've heard it said, kind of a vending machine in the sky. God, I've come 27 times in the last three weeks. How much more do you need? Over the last 10 years, God, I've been praying for this and hoping for this and nothing's happened. How much more do you need? And we could lean on our righteousness and say, come on, God, look at my track record. This woman, I don't even know how often she came to the judge, but come on. He's an unjust judge. You're a just judge. Do you care about justice? And there can become a moment where we can, as we hold tight to what is right, there can become a time when we can slide over to saying, this is owed to me now. It is owed to me to have this issue resolved. I mean, the widow had her issue resolved. My religion, my dedication has brought this to me. I, I kind of deserve it now. Come on, God. We don't put it in that language, but sometimes we feel that way. And God tells the next parable, Jesus tells the next parable, to kind of help us process what can be if we follow what he said in the first. And he said this in verse 9, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And they're connected because they're about prayer. 
two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you know about the temple in Jerusalem, you actually do go up, you ascend, it's higher, it's, a, it's up on a, a mountain. So you, you go up to pray, and you can see the two characters set, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. You already know who's good and bad in this story. You can tell if you've read the Bible before, you know the Pharisee's going to be bad, and the tax collector will probably be, be good, because Jesus likes to flip things around. So the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. And look at his prayer, it's very eye-centered. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. That's actually pretty good. I mean, truthfully, if he were in our midst, he would probably become a leader. I mean, this is what leaders do. They set the example. They set the standard. They do above and beyond what others expect of them. That's just what leaders do. And honestly, I would bet that he would be someone we'd say, wow, that's pretty impressive. I mean, this guy's He's doing a lot. He's very dedicated, uh, very dedicated. So as much as we're quick to judge a Pharisee, if we're honest, these people, there's a reason the Pharisees in this time were the popular party of the day. People looked up to them. They, they just did. And here's a guy who fasts twice a week. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands on how many fast twice a week here, all right? Um, and give a tenth of all that I get. I'm not going to ask that question either. How many give a tenth of all that we get? But this is what the Pharisee did. That's, this is pretty good, truthfully, all right? Verse 13, the contrast, but the tax collector stood at a distance. <laughs> you can tell just by his posture, he didn't feel worthy of coming near to the temple. And he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee's like, that's right, you are a sinner. That's right, you are. The tax collector's like, that's right, I am. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector identified himself as a sinner. In other words, if this is true, he's not in a position to see clearly what God can see. If we are sinners, if we are people who are plagued by sin, involved in sin, engaged with it, it, it clouds us, it limits us, it keeps us from seeing what a sinless being can see, right? Sin brings death, and death brings a limit. There's only a small limit of time that you and I get to be on this planet. We live in this little blip of time. God the Father has created the universe and is above and beyond time. And as a sinner, I identify with the struggle even of David and Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? What, what am I in comparison to the eternal God of the universe? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And therefore, when I bring my request to God, I stand at a distance, I beat my breast like this tax collector did, and I recognize, have mercy on me. God of the universe who is in charge of it all, who owns it all, who can see things that I cannot see, have mercy on me, a sinner with this open hand, this invitation to say, God, there are things that you do in ways that you do that I simply cannot see and will not understand. And so when I come to you in prayer, and when, when I come with my requests, when I come consistently, fervently, with passion, with the things that I think are wrong with this world and with my life and with whatever, that I come with that, may I also come with this temperament, this attitude, that my righteousness doesn't ever get in the way. That I don't come and say, God, here's 
what I need. I am so thankful that I'm not like others. I'm so thankful that my life is this. And I pray that you would help me. And here's where you need to help me. And God, if you would answer this for me, that would be great. And here's what I need. And here's what my family needs. And I need, and if you don't mind, I need this too. One more thing that I need before I'm done. All right, I think I'm done. Am I done? I'm done. All right, I'm done. Thank you, God. Now please answer all my requests. And this one comes, and he's like, hey, God, here's what I think is justice. Here's what I think is right. But let me come with an open hand. Let me hold it open to you and say, you are a merciful God. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. And an amazing parallel between two stories of prayer that are tied together in one account, where Jesus gives a picture of the future to his disciples and says, in the middle of that, you're going to have adversity like this widow did. You're going to deal with injustice. You're going to deal with things that are wrong in this world. You're going to come and you're going to knock on the door and the answer is going to be no or not yet. And you're going to wonder what to do. And you're going to be tempted to give up. Like the widow who could lean on no one when she went home, you're going to be tempted to go home and just say, yeah, it's too hard. Yeah, it's been 10 years. Yeah, it's been 30 years. Yeah, God doesn't care. I get that. The parable of the widow says, hold tight to that hope of what is right, to that justice that you believe is there in your heart. The parable of the Pharisees and the tax collector says, when you come with that, when you come with passion with that, come with an open hand. To say, God, I'm a sinner before you. Have mercy on me and help me to see what otherwise I cannot see. So two questions to wrap this up. Number one, what do I need to hold tight? Okay, what do you need to hold tight? What is it that you're looking at in your life now and you're saying, man, I am like this close to giving up. There's certain things that I'm I'm about ready, if not already have given up on this stuff. I've kind of given up hope. But things are going to be different here in my marriage. Right? I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. I've, I've given up hope, God, that you can use me in a powerful way in my business, in my company, without wrecking everything. I've given up hope that I can reconcile with the person that is at odds with me. I've given up hope, God, that you can help us bring justice to areas of injustice that I see locally, nationally, even globally. Right? I mean, I see the injustice, man. I see the inequity socially, economically, in this community and beyond. But God, it's just the way it is, and it's too big of a problem. So, eh. You know, I'm sorry, but there's not much I can do. When we see injustice, when we see people who are not getting what is right and what should be an, a base human opportunity to grow and develop, there should be something within us that's like, yeah, that's not right. What do I need to hold tight to? And with passion, with fervor, with continued energy, say, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to hold this one tight. I'm going to hold this tight. I am not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for a marriage that's like this. I will not do it. I'm not going to settle for a dating relationship that's like this. I'm not going to settle for a life that floats through in work, just kind of making enough money to get by, but has no clear purpose and eternal perspective in mind. I'm just not going to settle for that. I don't want at the end of my life, my life to be just kind of, eh, they lived, they died, who's next? I want it to matter. I want to fight for something. What do you need to hold tight to? But secondly, what do you need to, what do I need to keep an open hand with? As we come to God with this passion, with this energy, with this hope to hold tight for justice, I come with an open hand to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner who cannot see what you can see. Have mercy on me who needs to trust you when I don't. Have mercy on me when I feel like just giving up and saying, you know what, I've done so much for you, God. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of what I have. Are you kidding me? Why do I get sick? You Really? Like, look at that person over there who's done nothing for you. 
I grew up with them in high school. Look, they're making a ton of money. Their marriage looks great. I mean, on Facebook and Instagram, they look awesome. And all that I've done for you is been at church for the last 20 years. And look at my life. Really? That's, what, uh, that's the way it works? The tax collector comes and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because I can't see what you can see. Hold tight to justice and come with an open hand with the sovereignty of God in all things. You and I know it. We're going to hit tension. We're going to hit adversity. We're in it. It's going to be life. And as Jesus gives this final parable to his disciples here, he's already kind of said to them, listen, there's a future that's going to be better than right now. Before you get there, you're going to deal with a bunch of junk. In the middle of that, don't give up. And remember who's in charge. Hold tight to what's right and come with an open hand, remembering the sovereignty of God. And if we're honest, this is kind of the way Jesus handled himself, isn't it? If we take an honest look at Jesus, didn't he hold tight for what was right, for the justice of the poor and the oppressed around him? Wasn't he the advocate for people who had no voice? Wasn't he the one who was looking around at the religious establishment and saying, this isn't right the way you're doing this? And he held tight for that all the way up to death. Now, if we're also honest, he had to hold an open hand and say, God, there's some things about the way that you want me to do this that I don't like. But let's not romanticize this moment in Jesus' life when he's in the garden praying about the upcoming uh, crucifixion that he's about to experience. And he says these words, right? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, right? I mean, that's what he says. In other words, I don't want to do this. If you're willing, if there's any other way, if you're willing, please take this path from me. Please take this from me. And then he finishes, but not my will, but yours be done. But let's not miss that moment where Jesus is like, hey, the way, God, that you have this planned, I don't like. And if I could get out of this adversity that's coming, I would. In fact, I'm asking you, Please, if it is your will, please take this cup from me. But he comes with that open hand and says, Ah, but not my will, but yours be done. Not mine, but yours be done. Fighting for what is right and holding with an open hand. And he goes to the cross. You know the story. He goes to the cross and he dies. In the most graphic and profound way that you could kill somebody back in those days for us. To set that example, model, and hope for us that we can have eternal life in Christ by placing our faith in Him. And so we're going to share communion together this morning. We're going to roll right in to partaking of the bread and the cup. And as we do it, I pray that this moment for you will be that moment of, okay, there's some things I need to hold tight to. Maybe there's some things I've given up hope on. Maybe I need to come back to that. Maybe I need to circle back and try again, think again, hope again, talk again, open that up again. And maybe there's some things I need to hold with an open hand and trust in the God of the universe to do this. So as the uh, ushers come up and worship team come on up, why don't you guys come on up here? Um, 
I'd like to give you all a moment right now as we prepare for communion, just to take a moment, uh, just to take a moment in the quietness of your own heart, in just about a, a one minute or so of, of quiet reflection, to ask God and to respond to God and even to push back to God in your own heart and your own mind and ask him these questions, God, what do you want me to hold tight to? What do I need to hold with an open hand? So let's just pray quietly together as we prepare for communion. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to step into what we need to step into, not to back up because of the fear that's going through our minds and hearts right now. Continue to stir in us, please, a passion and desire for what is right. No matter the pain involved in getting there, help us to hold tight to what is right to do. And help us to hold this open hand in the middle of our pursuit to say, you can see better than we can, even if it doesn't go the way that we want it. Not our will, but yours be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to take communion, many of you know that uh, Jesus, uh, in the last supper, as we call it, gathered his disciples together in a room um, in Jerusalem, getting ready for, for his own crucifixion. And he brought uh, together uh, you know, the bread uh, at the table and the, the wine to drink. And they shared together in what is called the Last Supper. Today as a church, we celebrate that. We remember that uh, moment in which Jesus used that as a metaphor for what would happen to him. That his body would be broken on the cross and his blood poured out for us. And so every time we take communion, we get to, as Christians, go back in time. Just zoom all the way back in time, hundreds and hundreds of years, to join in with kind of that moment in Christendom and be connected to a whole broader movement than just ourselves here locally. And I hope this morning as we taste and, and drink this bread in the cup that we could be reminded to hold tight and hold open as Jesus did. So as we prepare to take that, um, we've asked Amos to lead us in the uh, prayer for the bread.